Hey, Purpose Claremont, I just wanted to share a little bit uh, from today's reading out of Deuteronomy. Let me pray and we'll jump in. Father, we give you thanks for another day to be together and to honor you and follow you and um, spend time with you and your word. And I pray that you would lead and guide us in this time and give us humble hearts. I know for me, I had to have a, it was a gut check thing for me this morning. And I pray that um, we would all approach you uh, with that, just a, a sense of humility rather than um, well, looking into your word or looking at you from our own lens, uh, lens of what's right and righteous and appropriate. Um, God, may we approach you for who you are, not who we wish you would be. And then as we do that, may we give you praise because you are who you are. And so God, lead us in this time. We pray in your name. Amen. So this morning, uh, I was in uh, Deuteronomy 7. I was part of today's reading. And the part that stood out to me was just in the very beginning, uh, verses 1 and 2, when the Lord your God brings you into the land. Remember, this is, this is Moses speaking to the, the people of Israel who are getting ready to go into the promised land. And it says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than you. Now watch this part. And when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. And that's that last, it's that part in the middle of verse two that you must devote them to complete destruction. Now it could be that it's like a, it's like a, it's a figure of speech that we would use today um, when we talk about, say it's a, a baseball game or something where um, where we say something like, oh, the, I'll just use this <laughs> for those that are Giants fans. Sorry. Oh, the, the Dodgers totally destroyed uh, the Giants. And and so it's a figure of speech. And so I've heard that, that because again, um, if it's not, then why go to verse three? You shall not intermarry with them. If you've already completely destroyed them, then why is he giving instructions of what not to do after that? Um, and so I'm, lean more in that direction. But then even, even still, if God literally meant completely destroy, um, I actually sat and looked at that and I admitted to God, I'm like, God, I have a hard time with that. Um, I have a hard time thinking through that. Um, and then I, I read this out of, uh, I read this out of some study notes out of the Ryrie study Bible. Uh, and that phrase, utterly destroy or complete destruction, um, he says this, from the Hebrew root word for devote, meaning here to devote to destruction, to exterminate. And then goes on to say, the Canaanites, the most morally corrupt people of that time and haters of God, deserved to die for their sin. And we'll look at that in just a second. And so it's, but even that, we sit there and go, oh, that I don't know if I like that part. And what are, what are people going to think? Um on how it is that we can love this God who wants to completely destroy someone, all the while not knowing anything about the people group, and then coming to read that they're they were morally wicked. I mean, the most wicked people on the planet, and complete haters of God. Um, and then I wrote this in my notes. I said this brings up questions of whether or not this was right to do. But who do I think that I am? God is just. He's right. Sin is ultimately and primarily against Him. And before that, uh, I'd written this question. Do we really believe that all that we deserve is punishment from God? 
And we got to think through that. I mean, think about it. Do you really truly believe that the only thing, if you're a follower of Jesus, we understand that, hey, we're sinners outside of Jesus. We surrender to Christ. Or our, our identities changed, but we're sinners. We don't deserve anything except punishment. But do we really believe that? So when we read passages like this, it's almost like we expect God to explain himself. And really, we need to come back. And this is what I wrote as my prayer. I said, oh, God, please forgive me for questioning your rightness and rightness or righteousness. And I just felt like he was just responding back. This is what everyone does. It's like everyone's trying to get God to explain himself as if God doesn't have the right to do what he wants. And then jumping to a conclusion that we're actually more righteous than he is. So God is more compassionate, more merciful, more gracious. He's more righteous. He's more just than anyone, than all of us combined. And for us to walk forward with him and stand before him and go, you know what, you need to explain yourself. It's almost like we're scolding one of our kids. You need to explain yourself, young man. That's not appropriate. It's we're supposed to be approaching God in humility because of who he is. So when you go on later on down, you go to verse nine and 10 of chapter seven. Uh, it says, now, therefore, that I'm sorry, know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. Now, listen to who he is, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him. So he's not afraid of anyone. He's going to do it right to their face by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. And again, we look at that and we go, well, shouldn't he have to? And you go, we never get to say, shouldn't he have to? God does what he wants. We also have to remember, though, that God has, he warns. He gives warning, hundreds of years of warnings to these people groups about repenting and and yet they never responded and repented. They just kept they just kept hating God. And the ways in which they would worship God were he abhorred them. The way that um, some people would worship God by or worship their God, not God, not the real God, but their God, their idol, by sacrificing children. And God said, going, I hate this. I absolutely hate this. And yet he'd still give them warning. And so, but he says, I'll repay them. Those who hate me, I'll destroy them. Guys, and then you, I'm sorry, I get to chapter 9, verse 5, and it says this, actually starting verse 4, Do not say in your heart, after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, it's because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess a land, whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you, and that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. The thought that hit me was this. A lot of times what happens um, in churches all across the nation, it's like we just kind of, it's like we try to, um, it's, it's almost like we try to neuter God as if it were possible. We try to make him a little bit more palatable so we get rid of the rough edges around him. And we just treat him so different than who he really is. It's like, we'll explain. And people will say, well, if you, if you I mean, this is the reason uh, when you read the Old Testament, this is so, this is the reason so many people don't want anything to do with God. Friends, people's response to God is up to them. And yes, I can. And I can because the scriptures show it. I can, I can paint this picture of a loving, gracious, forgiving, merciful God who desires relationship with us, but also 
if he's savior, there has to be something that he saves us from. And it's true that he saves us from sin, absolutely, and death, absolutely, but he saves us from himself. So from himself, in 1 Thessalonians 1, it talks about that uh, Jesus came, like, like we're saved from the coming wrath, which would be the coming wrath of God, and God will ultimately punish sin. And so I, I remember a long time ago uh, when I was going through the book of Jude, um, I felt like I, I found myself trying to apologize um, for God when I was speaking to the high schoolers about it. And it just felt like God said, hey, stop treating me like one of your weird family members. Like, stop, stop apologizing for me. Just preach truth. Just show them who I am and let my spirit do what it is that I want to do. And I remember making a commitment that day. I actually apologize. I'm so sorry for treating you like that. I will teach your truth and I will teach people who you are based upon your revelation according to your word. Never, never just this personal experience that I have, but according to the scriptures, I'll preach all of you unapologetically. And I'll do the same thing with this. There is an aspect of God that is absolutely terrifying and God will punish and destroy sin and those who hate him, he'll destroy. And you look at that and go, oh my gosh, what do I do with that? You let the word of God say what the word of God needs to say. And God is in charge. God is who he is. And we don't have to apologize. We don't, be, we don't have to be embarrassed of him. This is who he is. But even though he's a God who punishes, in chapter 7, verse 9, know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. He's this loving God who's forced and he keeps covenant with those who say, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I want to follow you. He's like, okay, you're mine. I'm not giving you up. We're in covenant relationship. And this steadfast love to a thousand generations. It's those who say, I hate God. I want nothing to do with God. God's not going to sit there and go, I'll, okay, and I, I'm so sorry, and I'll leave you alone. God is sitting there going, and I believe God's going to call people call people, call people. But at some point when they're, when they're done and they don't, they want nothing to do with them at some point, whether that's just the last minute before they die or whenever God decides when he says, okay, then that's it. Then punishment for your sin is coming and God destroys. It's who he is. It's part of who he is. Guys, that, ca- that should cause us to worship and be in awe. It makes me sit back and go, I can't believe that I get mercy and grace. I can't believe that you wooed me into relationship. And thank you, God, that I was able to respond by faith. Friends, this doesn't make me look at God and go, oh my gosh, he's so, he's so evil. Never. He is so beautiful and gracious. And, and to think that God does not, when you look in Ezekiel, God does not delight in the death of evildoers, but longs that they would turn to him. He wants those who are quote-unquote evildoers to turn toward him rather than to die. Guys, we have a great, great God. I just want to make sure because when we get through passages like this, it gets a little bit rough. We're not sure what to do with it. Don't do anything. Just let the word of God speak as the word of God so we have a proper view of who God is. Friends, I love you more than you know. Hope you have a great rest of your day. We'll see you later.